You are listening to the Kensington Church Podcast, recorded live in Michigan. To learn more about Kensington, visit kensingtonchurch.org. Hey, good morning, Kensington Church. We are grateful that you've chosen to spend the next hour or so with us this morning. And whether you're with us at one of our six campuses or online, whether you've been around for two decades or this is day one, welcome. My name is Greg Ruby, and I am the campus director at Kensington's Traverse City Campus. If you're a part of our downstate Kensington family, we probably haven't spent a lot of time together, so here's a little about me. My wife, Emily, and I, we've got three kids. The twins, Clay and Eden, are nine, and Finn is soon turning five. We have a chocolate lab named Winnie and a cat. We love taking advantage of all Northern Michigan has to offer. If you're here with us in person, I want you to know that the hub is open. If you have a specific question or if you're just feeling a nudge to get connected here, walk on over there after service and find out more. As you may already know, We are streaming services for those who are unable to meet with us in person, and we love that our online community is growing beyond our state lines. If you're traveling this summer or want to rewatch a service anytime, just check out our YouTube channel, youtube.com slash kensingtonchurchtv. You can watch services live there too. Joel, our lead pastor here at TC, is going to tell you about our next series starting next weekend, June 13th. I've been wondering, What if we all made a commitment this summer? What if we all went into the summer season with this mindset that no matter where we are, we're gonna show Jesus to everyone we encounter? What if we all committed to clothe ourselves with the characteristics of Jesus? It could be like a big summer fashion show, an intentional church-wide movement that, that we all commit ourselves to. What if we made a conscious effort to show Jesus to every single person that crosses our path? Like the people at the gas station or servers at restaurants, people at work, those around us at the beach or anywhere else we go. More so, how about our families or our spouse or our children or our extended family or our neighbors? What if we decided that when people encounter us, they're gonna encounter Jesus? Jesus told us not to worry about what we wear on the outside. Instead, what if we clothed ourselves with the characteristics of Jesus? Join us next week as we kick off a new series called Summer Fashion. All right, let's return now to the fourth week in our Go series. I can't wait to see how God uses this to inspire each of us to go. I'm gonna throw this thing. Uh, What's that? Wrap it? Okay. Just check out YouTube, um, our YouTube channel. Oh, crap. Joel, our lead pastor here at TC, is going to tell you about our next series. Dude, I'm right here. <laughs> oh, <sorry. laughs> well, good morning, Kensington. Let's all stand up as we worship and celebrate Jesus and who he is and what he's done for us. See what? 
amazing. Hey, turn around and say hi to some people. We're humans again. Go ahead. Speak to each other. <laughs> oh, man, that was great. <laughs> oh, wow. <laughs> it's good to see you, man. Hey, bro. So, today is a uh, dream message for me. In 1968, I got on a plane with my dad and my mom and my sister, left the rest of our family behind, and flew to Kenya, where my dad was taking over a mission hospital in 1968 in the Aberdare Mountain Range, uh, about an hour's drive from Nairobi, work at the African Mission. On the flight, I forgot this, actually, the first service, it hit me, I was thinking about that flight. There was actually a terrorist attack in Cairo that day, the plane was hijacked, and we ended up sitting on the tarmac in Cairo for eight hours in, an, in a plane that was turned off on a probably 110 degree day, no air conditioning, no water in the plane. Couldn't leave, we were stuck, locked on that plane. That was, I was 12 years old on, on our way to Kenya. I had no idea the adventure that God was gonna lay out for my life. That's where it started. We landed in Nairobi. We stopped into Nairobi before we went out into the bush and we had lunch. And as we walked the streets of Nairobi, there were all of these people begging everywhere. People with their legs, no legs, people with no arms, people with no faces uh, because of leprosy. And I'm 12 years old, growing up in a perfect home and parents that loved Jesus and loved each other and loved us. And I remember thinking up until that moment in my life that my life was great, it was about me, and everything was about me. And I was walking the streets of Nairobi that day, September of 1968, and I thought, I felt like God said to me directly, he said, I don't care if you're ever happy again. What are you gonna do about the pain in the world? What are you gonna do about letting people know that I love them are you gonna be a part of that? Or are you just gonna skip through life like, like it's all about you? And I would say that was the day that I became a living, waking human being. Three years later, back in America, ninth grade, starting to study the Bible for the first time, and I'm in 1 Thessalonians, and Paul is writing to this little tiny church in Thessalonica in northern Greece, no big deal, probably a probably a couple of dozen Christians there and he's praising them and he says these words you can see them on the screen it's amazing to me I never forgot this it says he's encouraging this little group of people he goes the Lord's message Jesus message rang out from you not only in Macedonia in Achaia which is be part of northern Greece your faith in God has become known everywhere hold on to that for a second it says, therefore, we don't need to say anything about it, for they themselves report. Keep going. Um, keep going. Yeah. What kind of reception you gave us? They tell how you turn to God from idols to serve the living and true God and to wait for his son from heaven, whom he raised from the dead, Jesus, who rescues us from the coming wrath. And I remember thinking, and I was 15 years old, and I thought, wouldn't it be amazing to be a part of something where the message of Jesus that I would be with a group of people where the message of Jesus would ring out to the world. But it, it felt impossible. Because I'm 15 years old and I'm, I'm nobody, just like everybody else. It doesn't seem possible. 
Fast forward to 1990. Wilson and I are backstage and we're, we're wondering if anybody's even gonna show up for the first service at Kensington at East Hills Middle School. And I remember that day praying, Lord, you put this dream in our hearts and God was awakening in other people's hearts, this dream that we would have a message that would spring to the whole world. And we don't, we don't know if anybody's even coming today. And now, 31 years later, we've seen the goodness of God. And it wasn't done through social media or notoriety or nobody was famous. It just was people following Jesus to go. And for us, and it was amazing for this church, is every time we asked, people responded. You did it a couple weeks ago with the India thing. People are doing it right now with the Timothy Initiative. Like, we just asked and people respond. And that was the thing I prayed all those years. Oh, Lord, wouldn't it be amazing to be with people who just responded and to be with, to serve with you has been the greatest honor, certainly, of my life. But this dream is alive today more than ever. And what I want you to watch now in this video is images of our 11 global partners, indigenous church planning partners around the world, where we've seen thousands of churches started, hundreds of thousands of people reached. And I, would, I hope you feel what the song says, that you'd be filled with wonder had a dream that started me in 1968. It started with a punk named Craig McClass and a lot, lot years, 20 years later, downriver Detroit and Dave Wilson in a seminary classroom in Los Angeles. And, and you, I don't know where it awakened in you. Maybe it, maybe it awakens today in you that God has given us an unprecedented opportunity. I'm just telling you guys, if you are a follower of Jesus Christ, this is the greatest time you could have ever been alive because the opportunities are endless. The opportunities for us to live intentionally and to get out of our comfort zone. I mean, for here to love, to love our international friends that are coming in uh, to build bridges and relationships to see the beauty of the world. All I can think of is people in the world are so beautiful.
in the light. I'm walking in wonder. I'm seeing the world in living color. I am, uh, and I'm not afraid to follow. I'm not afraid to follow where Jesus is leading. And as I was watching those, a majority of those people you saw on the screen, I know, and I've been with and prayed with and encountered. And it was interesting as I was looking at this, as we put this together this week, there are several places in the world we can't show any videos from. Because the movements of God, of, of church planting that were involved in those parts of the world, people are under such duress that they'd be killed if we showed their faces. They'd be killed. And I thought, what a privilege for us to follow Jesus with people like that. Did anybody see the, see the, the boy, uh, the special needs boy in the wheelchair at the end of that video? You realize that one of the churches that we've, really supported, been a huge part of is a, a special needs church in Cairo where in the Egyptian community, children that are born with special needs are basically locked away in rooms and are never seen because they bring shame to their families. And there was a group of Christians got an idea that said, no, no, let's celebrate the beauty of their lives. And so we have a huge church in Cairo made up of these special needs kids, where they come and are celebrated for the first time in their life with their families, and they found the joy of Christ. I've been in Egypt, and I did a workshop for church planters in a northern city in Egypt, where the women that were there that were church planting, the commonality of those women is that they were in abusive home situations, and that because of the, the law of Egypt and because of the, the Muslim law, the women can't, can't get out of the marriages, and they're getting beat. And I remember literally 15 women that were in this conference had bruises and cuts on their faces. As <gasps> I'm doing a workshop. This is not 2,000 years ago. This is now. And we get to be a part of it. And you've responded. You're a part of Kensington. 
And so many other churches in our region have started to get the vision of what would be if we got behind people that were doing indigenous work. It's just, it's thrilling. And some of you are look, who are new to Kensington, you're looking at the, what, what's the deal with the water and the water exploding? Well, that's been our key, one of our key strategies for work among the people in Northwest Kenya. And we're hoping to expand that into Sudan where, we're, where we have a church planning movement happening among five different language groups in, in South Sudan, which is the youngest country on planet earth, by the way newly formed just a few years ago. And I thought, this is what Jesus Christ is doing in the world. It's truly, it's truly miraculous. I forgot my notes, sorry. I was so into that. And so today, as we begin this, I'd love to just take a moment and celebrate by receiving our offering, because I want to talk to you today about your part in the going that Jesus invites all of us to do, okay? And as we talk about this, I want to celebrate with you again what's happened just in the last month. Two weeks ago, Craig McGlasson gave the blessing to two local church planters. Was anybody here for that? It was really cool, wasn't it? That was just a neat moment. Uh, people responded in a huge way to the needs uh, for our India hospital that's become a center point of ministry and loving people in Rajamundri and Davlasvaram, and just a beautiful thing. Money is going out this week to Nepal, because Nepal is starting to experience the same repercussions that India's in with our Ramesh. Tuesday night at 10.15, I was on a Zoom call to Nepal where they broke ground on another safe house for girls that are being transitioned out of trafficking into leadership and, and not only in the church, but in the community, and they're more than doubling their capacity. And I thought, I was on a Zoom call at 10.15, talking to 20 of the people I love, you know, maybe more than any, any, as much as any place in the world, and getting to pray over them and celebrate them with friends from around the world. It's just so cool to be a part of the modern digital world. So God is just doing all of these things, and it's really, really special. And today is, is just as special because it's the second week of our announcement of our, really, we've been doing it this series, but of our Timothy Initiative Partnership in Northern India that we're going to talk more about at the end of the service where we're going to launch a 1,000 churches uh, out of what people are, have, are giving right now and people have responded beautifully. Can't wait to see what our end result. Craig's going to talk more about that at the end of the service. So as we do that, I'd love to receive the, if you haven't put up the information on the offering, we'd love for you to be a part of what we're doing financially. It's easy to text. There's all the simple ways you can do that. Did you put that on the screen earlier and did I see it? No, the, the giving thing for the offering? It was already done? Oh, so we're, that's totally yesterday? Okay, great. Thanks. You know, for 30 years I've been trying to help the other teachers and other people here know what it's like to really be a, a polished speaker that never makes a mistake. Uh, curious how it's working out. <laughs> so, week one, if you remember this, I just want to, this is so cool. This has been a great... This is a series I hope we'll revisit every year or two. But we talked about the Jesus invitation uh, to come and see and then go and tell. That to follow Jesus is to invite others to follow him. We week two, we talked about how a community that's committed to reaching people is going to be far more effective than reaching people individually. In 2003, my first trip to Kenya to see Julius, we were classmates in seminary and we, we lost contact for 16 years. 2003, I went to Kenya to find out that he had planted 100 churches 
and he had been at risk of his life on multiple occasions. And we went to this really tough place in Northwest Kenya where everybody was dying from the water that they were drinking or, or there was no water to drink at all. And it was the first time, some of you remember this story, but I actually danced with about 50 Pocot women who were topless. And so we actually have film of me dancing, which I, I have to admit, I was looking really good. But we were dancing, singing for God to bring water, to bring hope, and to bring life to this community. And the whole time, honestly, that we were dancing, all I felt in my heart was despair because I didn't have any money. Well, I had a, only a small team of people had seen it. I didn't know how people would respond. We were still a pretty young church at the time. We had other commitments. I'm like, Lord, how will we ever do anything with this? Three years later, I went back, and there was a well right in that place. And where everybody had been dusty and sick, everybody was healthy and smiling. It was just it was amazing, miraculous transformation. We've done that about 150 times now. For it just it's and all of these have communities that are that are doing that. So so as we think about what God is doing, I, I just want to reference one thing. I grew up in a beautiful church and people I love, and I was just there last weekend with my mom. And those people have been really great. But there was just a there was a thing in our church where we were stuck that it was every everything was about knowing but not about going. And I finally realized you don't have to know that much to go. Jesus loves you. Jesus has forgiven you. Jesus loves the world. You can go and tell people that. That's why Jesus said, all you have to do is have the faith of a child. Now, there's nothing wrong with scholarship, and I love scholarship, but it doesn't take much. And so I thought Craig McGlasson, who did such a great job piecing this message together, said, there's a point where you realize our growth and Christ doesn't hinge on more things than no, but on our commitment to go. And this is why serving with you all these years has been such a beautiful privilege. Because I've stood all over the globe with people in this room. I'm looking out, and, I, and like we've had these adventures, and these adventures are coming. And the worst part of COVID for me the last 15 months is there was no going. Do you know that I canceled eight trips? had eight international trips, had to cancel them all. And a lot of you would have gone with me on those trips. I thought, hey, I've got my vaccine, baby. I'm ready. I'm going. Who's with me? You're going to take an adventure with me, see what Christ is doing. But it all started, really, the going with what Jesus said in Matthew 28. I want you to look at this. It says, the 11 disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain where Jesus had told them to go. And when they saw him, by the way, some scholars think that's Mount Arbel, where every time I've taken a team to, to, um, to Israel, we hike down the back, back side of Arbel towards the Sea of Galilee. It's really one of the greatest hikes on planet Earth. It's just absolutely gorgeous. It's amazing. And it says, when they saw him, they worshiped, but some doubted. And I just want you to know, for me personally, I love that. I love that phrase. I love that some of them doubted, because some of you doubt today. We're going to talk about you knowing that Jesus loves you, and, and there's tons of doubt in this room. You know what? Jesus is not worried about that. He, he is 11 guys that saw, the, saw him rise, risen from the dead, touched 
that touched the nail scars in his hands and put their hand in his side, they still doubted. But here, as he's coming to the point shortly after this where he's going to ascend to the Father, ascend to the Father, he says, Jesus came to them and said, all authority in heaven and heaven on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you. And surely I'm with you always to the very end of the age. In his last words, what did Jesus do? He gave us our marching orders. He said, listen, you're going to go global. You're going to fulfill that dream that was birthed in me in 1968. It's been birthed in millions of people throughout the centuries, right? You're going to go. You're going to be a part. You're, it's not about just your life, bro. It's about what could, you, what could Christ be through you in the world? And then all of a sudden, the coolest part of that is when you start thinking about other people, you start to, in a healthy way, forget about yourself, What's beautiful about this is in this going global, right now, it wouldn't even matter if the church didn't go global, because you know what happened? The world came global to us. Practically every, every major people group in the world is here within 20 minutes of this building. You realize that? And I love it. We're singing that song, Wonder, you, just, you, you, know, you know what my summary is in traveling the world? It's like God has made people so beautiful. Oh my gosh, everywhere you go, the uniqueness and the beauty and the, the our artistry of God in creating people, much less the world in creation. And that whole world has come to us and it's so cool that we can make disciples in our neighborhoods with the world. I bet you that every one of you lives with people from, from, ex, from what 50 years ago would have been exotic parts of the world. I was down with my mom uh, my mom's 96, and we were hanging out. We really, really had a great time this week. I, in fact, I, I'm going to tell, tell my mom, in terms of this going global, the last few years, my mom's, like a lot of people, has really gotten worked up about politics. And she's trying to work, work me up on politics. And, uh, and she's also trying to get me to stop eating so fast at mealtime. So it's two things she's working with me on. I'm like, Mom, I'm 65 years old. Will you back off on the eating too fast? Like, this is ridiculous. And um, I said, Mom, in all these years, I said, I don't get this because she was the one that gave me a global vision. I'm like, why are you talking about this? I said, when have you ever had a conversation with somebody about politics that when you were done, you looked at the other person and says, wow, I feel so much closer to you. And I feel so much closer to Jesus because of this conversation. I'm like, it doesn't work. Now, you have to talk about these things. But, but I said, Mom, how many thousands and thousands of times have you talked to someone about how wonderful Jesus is? And it just, it just did something magical in every part of the world we've been in. And you know what she did? She went like. And I went. Gotcha. It's fun when you can put it on your 96-year-old mom, you know, like, I showed you, <laughs> you know. So, but in this going, this global mission, it was mom that said, no, that's what, it's Jesus that draws people. And in his last words, he gives us this mission 
in this embrace. And I want you to understand this. It's really important. Uh, the verse is not up anymore. But he said, go and make disciples of all nations. This is really important if you, for the two of you that are taking notes. This word nations is not France, Spain, and England, and China, and India. The word nations is the Greek word ethnos, which is where we get our word what? What's the word from ethnos? The word ethnic, the word ethnicity. This would be, every nation would mean every language group, every distinct tribal group in the world, every geographically distinct location, all of these places, Jesus says go to all. Uh, does anybody know how many language groups there are in the world, distinct language groups? About 10,000. Jesus said go to all of those. That's what Wycliffe Bible Translators has been trying to finish the job of translating the Bible into every known language on earth because Jesus is saying to them, to these 11, by the way, they were knuckleheads. That's why we totally fit in. Like we could be on this team. We're good enough to make this team. And Jesus says you're gonna go to every corner of the planet. And guess what's happened for 2,000 years? That's what we've been doing. But the job is not finished. Here's what I want you to know as we go. I want you to know Jesus' heart for this. Peter was talking about the return of Jesus, and he said, the Lord is not slow in keeping his promise. He is going to return. And some of you thinking he's just wasting his time. But you know what he says? He says, God actually is patient with you. Let me ask you, anybody here really blown it in your life? Anybody really blown it? Like big time, blown it. Okay, let's see. Okay, about five of you. Okay, the rest of you are perfect. I remember when I was a teenager, after I'd really made some mistakes, and one of them was being arrested for throwing smoke bombs in the Memphis Public Library. And uh, I remember how patient my father was with me. He didn't scold me. He did say, man, I don't understand why you felt like you had to do that. Of course, I'm like, duh, you know. <laughs> but you know what you need to hear today, some of you? God's so patient with you. Even if you've blown it, even if you're faking it, even if you're hurting other people, God's love and patience keeps reaching. And he goes on to say, if you can see it on the screen, he's patient with you. And he doesn't want anyone to be lost, but everyone to come to repentance. Believe me, if you wonder what, what is Kensington about, what is Kensington about? It's what, what Jesus is about, which is God's heart and desire is for everyone to know him. And I'm not interested, I'll tell you, the older I've gotten, I am absolutely not interested in reforming any of you. I'm not interested in trying to correct your behavior or, or show you a better way. I just want to simply say, Jesus Christ is absolutely nuts about you. And he invites you to join him in life and to live with him and to enjoy him forever. The rest of it will eventually fall into place. Maybe not in this life, but in the life to come. It'll, it'll come into place because he's patient with you and loves you. It's another great verse. Just enjoy, enjoy this with me, Romans 10. So he doesn't want anyone to perish. And so Paul then writes... Paul and Peter were the two key guys in the early church. Paul then writes, everyone who calls on the name of the Lord Jesus Christ will be saved. He says, but how then can they call on the name of the Lord, on the one they haven't believed in? And how can they believe in the one of whom they've never heard? 
How can they hear without someone preaching to them? And how can anyone preach unless they're sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news. It's like when you go, you know what your feet become? Feet, by the way, feet are not beautiful. Just clue you in. They're very functional, but they're not beautiful. When you actually look at them isolated, they're kind of hilarious. Like what, like how did that come about? A foot. But you know what? When those feet go to bring the good news of Jesus Christ, they're beautiful. When you go with the passion of love over duty, when you step out of your comfort zone, when you put others ahead of yourselves, when you realize it isn't about church attendance or about a building or anything, but it's about people entering into a life with Jesus. And it's for every person on the planet. By the way, never more have I seen where people hate other people openly and publicly. Social media has become a place where people hate each other. And I remember C.S. Lewis years ago, and his writings that influenced me when I was a teenager, he said, you know what? It's impossible to hate someone you pray for daily. Because you start to pray, you start to love those people. You start to love that person. And then you start to learn from that person. You start to realize that person you thought was your enemy is actually somebody has a lot to show you about life. There's a perspective that comes when you engage in the uncomfortable conversations of life. And when I think about the world coming to us, I think of just how sweet God is. Because I got home Friday night late, about 8.30 from Memphis. Um, I brought a bunch of my mom's stuff back. She wanted us to bring back, and we were driving this 2005 15-seater van empty filled with my mom and dad's stuff. I don't even know. Don't even know what I'm doing with it. It's sitting in the garage right now, but I'd literally been home five minutes and my doorbell rings. And it's my neighbor, Ki Young P.O., works for works with Chrysler. He's from Korea. And when this day is over, whatever you think of me, it really doesn't matter. Because Ki Young thinks I'm awesome. He just wanted to come and sit on the porch with me. We sat on the porch for an hour and a half. And at first, I'm like, crud, I, I mean, I got all this stuff I got to bring in. I got, like, Lord said, no, I brought Key Young to sit on your porch. And then his son came over and his son's friend and uh, a neighbor boy who's, a, who's his family is uh, first generation Philippines. And, uh, and then the other boy, first generation from India. And so I'm sitting there on my porch with the car you know, jam-packed, it's 8.30 at night. Paula wouldn't drive this ridiculous van, so I'd driven for 10 hours. And Ki Young, who's from Korea, and neighborhood boys from the Philippines, and uh, his friend was from Africa, his father's Nigerian, and a boy from India, all sitting on my porch before I'd been home for five minutes. And you know all I could think of was? Jesus is so incredibly sweet to me. So if I never went... I could avoid going to the world. All I have to do is not answer the doorbell. <laughs> and every one of us is in the same position. And now, but we have a chance at Kensington as a corporate group, as Craig taught a couple weeks ago, to go into the world. We're going to talk about that in just a minute. The one word that has always marked Kensington is go. 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 Go, go. Just, just respond. And that's the thing that amazed me because every time we've asked, people have responded. People are going to respond to this Timothy initiative. People respond when we have move-out groups that are serving all over the city of Detroit, people stepping into relationships because people go. 
And here's the interesting part. As we're coming out of COVID, the church, like many, many organizations, is experiencing upheaval. As Kensington moves ahead in the next step, if you don't, if you don't throw your shoulder to the task with us, we're going to really be in trouble. We're, everything has to be rebuilt. People had volunteered on kids all of a sudden, haven't, haven't been in kids for 15 months, whatever. It's like God is saying to you, where are you going to go? And last week, Craig May said, so God's trying to say, who's available to me to use because I got needs. Where is God moving you to go? That's To me, that's all I care about. I don't care about this building. I don't care about Kensington. Never did. Never have. I care about, are we following? Who will follow Jesus with me in the world? That's pretty cool. Okay. Because God's answer to the problems of the world are you and you. Like there are things maybe only you can solve. There are, there are issues that maybe only people can step into. Some of you remember when we were working in Kenya, everybody completely ignored the half a million Pocot women. Never thought about their needs whenever we had, do you remember we had the five women from Kensington went on a trip said, why has nobody ever talked to the Pocot women to see what are the challenges of their life? And out of that grew the anti-FGM movement and the movement of, of, of training women and women being empowered like never before in Northwestern Kenya. Because five women who nobody even knows their names had a vision for the women of Northwestern Kenya because they said God's moving us to go. Let me share this with you. Craig, as Craig was putting the notes together, I realized I'd never used this verse in 30 years of kids. I feel kind of ashamed of it. Matthew 24, 14 says this. Jesus is speaking, and he says, this gospel of the kingdom, the good news that Jesus talked about, the good news is that God has made himself available to us through Jesus Christ. He said, this will be preached in the whole world as a testimony to all nations, and then the end will come. So you, you realize that Christians for 2,000 years have believed that Jesus is not returning until the message of Jesus is preached to the whole world. And right now, it's about 40% of the world. By the way, when Jesus said this, there were about 3 million, 300 million people in the world, we think. We're not even sure of that. Sometime this year, we're going we're gonna to tick the 8, million, 8 billion mark. When my parents were born in the 20s, there were 2 billion people in the world. In my parents' lifetime, my mother's 96, she's seen the world go from 2 billion to 8 billion people. And every one of them is a person Jesus died for. That we have the privilege to give our lives for. And when you think about this 40% still unreached, one of the really cool things is the digital world. Because it used to be you couldn't get Bibles in most of the world. Well, now the Bible's available digitally to anywhere in the world. And so people have a chance to read the Bible for the first time, have an access. But somebody's got to say, hey, did you ever check this out? Did you ever hear about Jesus? Because there's still a huge percentage of the world that has never even heard the name Jesus Christ. And by the way, when we, these thousand churches that we're going to plant in northern India... Some of these people are going to have their villages burned down for following Christ. Some of them are going to be killed because it's getting harder to be a follower of Jesus Christ in India. Hindu extremism is getting tougher and tougher. It's getting harder and harder. And these people know that follow Christ means a life of challenge and suffering. Most of the church planters that we send out 
over the last 20 years in eastern India. These young couples will go into a village to plant a church, and guess what the first thing they find out is? Is the local grocer won't sell them food. They have to go into a larger city where they're not known in order to buy food. That's pretty serious. It's a pretty serious challenge to going, of having that level of disdain, much less active persecution and suffering. And so today, it's exciting again today to realize that for the 11th time, we're stepping into a multiplication church planting movement somewhere in the world. This is northern India. And I want you to hear Sonny's story because he's just one of the persons that's come to Christ already in this region. I want you to hear his story right now. My name is Sunny, and I grew up in a superstitious orthodox Hindu family. I was a devout follower of the traditions and customs of my ancestors. Every morning I used to feed the cows and put rice around an ant hill. I worshipped the ants by feeding them rice to make sure no bad luck would come to me. There was a time I had taken out a loan and was unable to pay it back. So I had a superstitious belief that feeding cows and ants would solve all the problems that I was facing in life. But even practicing these rituals, it did not help me repay the money. The money lenders started causing trouble and harassing me. Finding no way out, I was planning to take drastic measures with my family's life, along with my own. But God had a plan for my life. And one day, I met Dilip in a nearby park. Dilip noticed that I was sad very troubled and sitting alone. So Dilip took the opportunity and started a conversation with me. Slowly I opened up and told Dilip my whole story. I was surprised I did this. Dilip then shared his story, followed by God's story. He also explained to me about sin, forgiveness, salvation and eternal life and assured me that God will make a way. Dilip prayed and the God he prayed to started to work in my heart. I learned that the God Dilip prayed to was Jesus. I then received Jesus as my personal savior. Now I am starting to feel as if a burden has been rolled away and slowly Jesus is showing me a new way. Along with my family, I am regularly attending church and spending a lot of time with other Jesus followers. We are growing in the Lord through reading the Bible and lots and lots of prayer. My family's transformation has impacted the whole community. It truly is a miracle. In the midst of this, we are facing opposition from many people. But that will not stop me from sharing the good news of Jesus with all of them. So, as I was watching this video, I was wondering what drastic measure Sonny was getting ready to take to try to write his life. But obviously, he was in a real danger zone. Mm -hmm. And this guy, Philip, mm. met him and get, brought him Jesus. It's amazing, isn't it? It makes you wonder how now, many other Sonnies never had somebody bring them the message yeah, of Jesus. Yeah, and you prayed at the end of the first service. Who, who was the guy that brought Jesus to you? Oh, a guy named Phil Brainerd. So he would pick me up when I was in junior high. He would take me out to A&W. We'd sit in the parking lot. I don't even know why he spent so much time with me. I can't imagine I was much of a conversationalist. And uh, I, would, I remember we'd get Coney dogs and root beer floats, and he just, week after week, would come and invest in me and just make sure that I knew that somebody mattered to Jesus and that that was me. It's amazing. 
And does anybody know Phil Brainerd? Nope. Nope. But he was, but we, we're the recipient of that blessing and faithfulness because mm. what he did in your life, you've blessed me for years mm. and you're blessing us. And I thought, that's how it works. Mm. I didn't mention this, but in 1968, when um, I landed on Kenyan soil, I didn't know that that was the year that uh, a friend of Julius Murgor, who's our lead, lead partner in Kenya, that a friend had walked 40 miles mm. in the Northwest Kenyan desert, 40 miles, mm. and tell him about Jesus. And that that was, he was 11, I was 12, it was 1968. Wow. And so what God was awakening in me, he mm. was awakening in Julius separately, and then 20 years after that, it was you, Phil Brainer, was, God was using him mm. by the Holy Spirit to awaken you. Dave Wilson was, mm. uh, had a guy that grabbed him at Ball State University you know, it's just all these stories that just yeah. go on and on. It's pretty awesome. So talk to me about the Timothy Initiative and what fires you up about this. And tell us just kind of how to, yeah. again, how do we get involved in this? Well, I think part of what I just said is you think of this guy's Sonny's story. And obviously, he doesn't talk about what measures he was going to take. But I think it, it seems fairly obvious they were going to be pretty extreme and permanent. And it does make you wonder how many other people, like Sonny, there wasn't a Philip that got to them first yeah. with the message of Jesus. And we know that in the regions of uh, really northern India and Nepal, where these churches are being planted right now, these are some of the most unreached places in the world. You know, when you read places like Matthew, and it says that the end comes when the whole world's been reached, those are some of the parts of the world right now that are some of the most unreached, which is why I think our partnership with the Timothy Initiative is not just important, it's literally, it is strategic to the accomplishment of the Great Commission, yeah. which is so interesting because the Timothy Initiative is drawing out some statistics right now and projections that show if we continue this work, and not just with places like them, there's other places as well that are going into some unreached people group areas in the world, but as that keeps happening, it's on a pace right now that there's a possibility that the Great Commission could literally be accomplished in our lifetime. Yeah which has never been a reality, ever. Like, you so could have never said that before. Too, yeah. right? even, even when I was a kid, the, the world is twice as large right. as when I was a kid. And, it's, and God has given us this opportunity. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I thought, for, so with this Timothy initiative, one of the things that you heard last week is that a, one of our key persons said, I'm going to give $100,000 to match whatever right. the first 100000 that's given. So if you do three hundred, I'm going I'm to match that. So... Anything you give is going to be doubled, which is really cool. And I, I keep dreaming that maybe we'll blow past this number. I hope so. Yeah. Well, our K-Kids, I mentioned you in the first service a few weeks ago, our K-Kids pulled together over a series of weeks their pennies and dimes and dollars, and they raised $300 and planted a church. But because of the matching gift, they've technically planted two. Yeah. So K-Kids is already leading the way for us, planting two churches yeah. in India. Well, I think if this happened a thousand times, and I think back to Faith Church, 31 years ago, and Wally Hostetter and the elders mm-hmm. of Faith Church put their hands on my shoulders mm-hmm. and our little team of 40 people, and we, re- we really were like this. Like, <laughs> I mean, we didn't know what the heck we were doing, and they still <laughs> believed in us and prayed over us and think mm-hmm. just, in, I thought, so if we only existed for 31 years, for these two weeks where we mm-hmm. invest in northern India, the, the 31-year existence of Kensington would be totally worth it and far beyond. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. Please never make that face again, okay. by the way. Okay, sorry. That's terrible. Yeah, that's pretty so, awful. So, what do you got? You want to show something so, on here while you, you're ridiculing me? Yeah. Okay. <laughs> I think you called me a punk at the start of the service. <laughs> so, you had one coming. 
Um, so when you guys walked in, you should have gotten one of these pamphlets. I just encourage you to pull that out uh, if you have it. And if you haven't had a chance, you got one last week as well. If you haven't had a chance to read that over and begin to really familiarize yourself with our newest partner, the Timothy Initiative. But more than just familiarize yourself with them, it's really begin to ask if you haven't yet what this means for you. Because we can do this, but we have to do this. This isn't, this isn't gonna be accomplished just by you know, us sitting up in a boardroom somewhere in the Troy offices making a decision. This is all of us believing that the Great Commission was put on our shoulders, that that's a mantle given to each of us to fulfill. And to fulfill it in our own personal spheres, opening the door when the bell rings, but also having a passion and a heart for the rest of the world, never has that been more easily accessible for us than through partnerships like the Timothy Initiative. Now, you said to me, Craig's, I don't know if you made this up, but I think it's really helped me this week. Remember, you said that every believer in Christ is on the front lines, Mm. but we also get to be a part of the supply lines. Talk to us about that. So you think about any war, any battle you have two important lines. You've got the front lines and you've got the supply lines. I would never diminish the role that we personally can play with our friends, our family, our neighbors. But when you think about the front lines, there are people in places like Nepal, Northern India, some other places around the world as well. Uh, I think of Afghanistan where they really are the front lines. There are men and women who know right now, if I'm serious about bringing Jesus to my neighbors, the likelihood is I'll die, that I'll be captured, I'll be tortured, I'll be persecuted, I'll lose my job, I'll lose my home, and many that know I'll lose my life. I mentioned to you a few weeks ago that when you think of places in the Bible like Hebrews where we're told of the men and women whose line we follow in, who were sawed in half, fed the lions, burned alive, the author of Hebrews says the world was not worthy of such people. And I think of the men and women in places like northern India and Nepal who are literally facing these odds right now. This isn't an old Bible story for them. This is their daily reality. And they're going without hesitation. The world's not worthy of them. And, and I think there, when you think about frontline supply lines, that's the front lines. It'll never be easy for you and I to go share with our neighbors and with our, our coworkers, with our friends who Jesus is. We will have our own challenges. We'll have our own barriers, some personal, some cultural They they exist, but few of us will ever be faced with the reality that someone will say, say Jesus again, and I'll lop your head off. These men and women do. They are the front lines in a way we'll never know. So what has God uniquely called us to be? I can't help but look at the reality that we are a nation that has been gifted an amount of resources that the majority of the world will never know. We have a responsibility to supply the front lines. We're the supply lines. And in any great battle, if you cut off the supply lines, it doesn't matter what the front lines do. It doesn't matter their bravery, their courage, or their determination. If you cut the supply lines, the front lines will dwindle. We literally have a work that God has given us, not just for the Great Commission, but I think uniquely in our setting and with our resources to be the supply lines to the front lines. We can be a significant part of seeing the Great Commission fulfilled. I love it. And when you think about everyone today, it, it would be a great honor to Craig and me. If you went, went out with your buddies or you went with family, where you going out to brunch or go, whatever, and, think, and answer these two questions, it says, where is my front line? Yeah, yeah. And where, where are the supply lines that God is calling me to? Because I, I had a, 
Uh, I told you in, in COVID, I c- couldn't travel globally. I'm getting ready to start up again. I'm going to start leading teams. I'm hoping some of you will go with me. But one of the things that God put in my heart a year ago, January, was I've got to get to South Sudan, where Reuben Maria Call is one of our Kenyan Pokot tribesmen, has planted 75 churches in five different language groups in South Sudan. And when he leaves, he has to leave his wife and three kids in Kenya because it's too dangerous in South Sudan. And I asked him last January, I was with him a year ago, and I said, what do you do when you say goodbye to Lois and your kids? I said, do you cry? He says, no, we Pocot men don't cry. We don't do that. I said, well, what do you do? He says, I drive down out of the valley. And he says, about an hour or two along the road, he says, I pull off on the side of the road. He says, and I weep. I weep for about 15 minutes. And I recommit to what Jesus has called me to do in South Sudan. And then I go on my way. He's actually been on roads where the car in front of him was hijacked and the people kidnapped. And the car behind him, the people were hijacked and kidnapped. Wow. And, his, and he was preserved in his old vehicle. <laughs> and I thought, how am I even worthy to tie his shoes or even know his name? It's an incredible privilege. Hmm. And that's what God has allowed us to be a part of the most exciting time in history, I think. Hmm. Talk to me about Acts 1-8. Let's, let's finish up with that. I'd love, because you had some unique insights that I had never seen from this before. What you tend to do, by the way, I appreciate you so much, and I feel like God's given you as a wonderful partner in, in something that he birthed in my heart. He certainly had birthed it in your heart, too, but this is, a, this is a great insight. Well, considering the fact that 14 years ago I stood on the stage at Troy, and you put your arm around me until I think you specifically said, 200 of you need to go with my glass and launch a church, which I wasn't ready for. <laughs> I was like, uh-oh. Uh, but now, having gone and launched that church, to be able to come back here and again stand on a stage and talk about planting other churches all around the world together, I, I can't even tell you what a gift it is to be able to do that. <laughs> Acts 1-8, and I'm not the first person that's ever seen some of these realities, but Acts 1-8 captures some of the last things that Jesus said to his disciples, and this is one of them. We've talked about it throughout the series, but I want to make a point about it. He says, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. So we talked about this throughout the series that Jerusalem, if you want to apply that to us, that's your personal sphere. That's where they were. That was their hometown. Judea is the next circle. Where do you go from there? Samaria was a place that no good Jew would ever enter. There was broken relationships and hatred and hostility. So this is the place that God would say, go, that you don't want to go. And then he says, to the ends of the earth. But notice that the smallest impact that Jesus ever calls us to have is the size of a city. And there's no way we can accomplish that without a whole community together saying, we'll take this mantle on ourselves. Because at the end, can I give one more? Keep going, baby. At the end of Revelation, last book of the Bible, um, some of you know this, the Apostle John, uh, he was the last surviving disciple at this point. Everybody else had been martyred and killed. They tried to kill him. It didn't work. Freaked him out. So they just got rid of him, put him on an island, left him there to die. Has this vision of things to come. That becomes the book of Revelation. Towards the end in chapter 21, he writes a section of verses that this is what it's all about. This is why it's so imperative that we go. It's not simply to start new churches. It's for the sake of what message those churches carry, which is that there is a God. His name is Jesus, and he is going to do what this says here. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, 
and there was no longer any sea. I love that detail. I always wondered what that meant until somebody helped me understand that the reality of that detail is that seas represent division. That's where we're all in different places. And he says, with no sea, there's no more division among people. He says, I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride, beautifully dressed for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, look, God's dwelling place is now among the people and he will dwell with them. They will be his people and God himself will be with them and will be their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eye and there will be no more death, no more mourning, no more crying and no more pain because the old order of things has passed away. He who is seated on the throne, that's Jesus, he's seated now, but when he stands up, which will happen one day, when any king gets up of his throne, he's getting up to put things right. He's patient at the moment sitting, but it says, he who is seated on the throne said, I am making everything new, so write this down, for these words are trustworthy and true. Here's what's trustworthy and true, is that at present we live in the broken order, the old order, the present order. He says, I am making all things new. The new order is to come. Well, the current order is a broken order. It's a violent order. It's a depressed order. It's the order of death and hatred and violence. It's the order of despair. It's the order where sin has broken everything. And here is the hope, is that one day, our king will stand from his throne and he will say enough is enough and he will rewrite the order and he will usher in with him the order that was always meant to be. No more death, no more mourning, no more crying. And as much as I want to read in the Bible that that will be everyone's reality, I can't. I don't see that in these pages. I see that that will be the reality, as Steve said earlier, of those who say, there is a Lord raised from the dead. Jesus Christ is his name. And so to the end of that being made known among the earth and in every nation, tribe, and tongue, we must be committed. We cannot let this just be something we have heard and received, but we take the mantle on ourselves to take it to the world. That's why we go. Amen. And I think if you go, if you respond, I've never had one person ever in my pretty long life now who's ever regretted the going mm. or the investment or the risk. Mm. It has made life so rich mm. and the people so amazing. So I would encourage you to do that. As I'm gonna have Craig close, but I thought as God tells us to go, you really have no idea what it means. I felt God put on my heart about a month ago that I need to, I've got to go to South Sudan. It's got to be one of my first trips when it opens up. And I'm telling Craig, I am blessed. I have a wife who doesn't worry whether I live or die. And uh, that could be good or bad, I'm not, not sure. <laughs> but but I, felt, I felt like the Holy Spirit said, dude, you need to go and drive those roads with Reuben. And you see what God's doing there. And be filled with the joy of that. Mm. Don't worry about the rest. Whatever happens after that doesn't matter. You know I want but to go. drive those roads with yeah, you. Yeah, I'm not letting you go with me. <laughs> we're we're going to go separately. So if one of us goes, yeah, I kind of need you The other is still around. Yeah. yeah. That's not even funny, is it? 
Uh, <laughs> would you pray for this beautiful team yeah. and the people that are listening and watching? I love, I'm so grateful for all of you for being a part of this journey of going. And mm. I just feel like God's going to usher us into a new time of where we say we have this opportunity to do something mm. really special. This is, this is a favorite of ours, the song available. So here's what I would just ask as we sing this. I, I just hope it's not just a go through the motions, sing the song moment. Like maybe, maybe just maybe let our band and let our musicians carry you for a minute and just let the words go into your ear and then maybe seep into your soul a little bit. Because these can't just be things that we sing. They have to be ways that we live to say to Jesus, I am available. I am available. Because to go, you first gotta be available. So I just, I pray that for me, this is my prayer, is that these words, I'm available, would stir a new and a fervent passion inside me to really be a goer. And I pray that would be true for all of us. God, would you just do something as we let these words penetrate deeper than just our heads, but into our hearts? That you would help us to continue to catch a deeper, deeper passion with more intensity to be people, men and women, committed to you, to your kingdom, and to your mission to go for the sake of the one that nobody in this earth would be left without knowing that you, Jesus Christ, absolutely adore them and gave your life for them. So when it's in your name we pray, amen.
a moment where there's a certain lyric in a song or maybe even a certain song that gets sung and like it gives you shivers a little bit? You ever had that? Anybody in my alone? Yeah, some of you had that. And I, I used to always think, oh, it's because of her voice. Like, wow, her voice gave me chills. And Bella has an amazing voice that does give chills. But I think that there's sometimes that what's actually happening in those moments is that your physical body is agreeing with a truth that is eternal. His way is better. I don't care what the way is, because this is why I keep learning, is the lesson God is patient with me to continue to teach me. Every time I try to think my way is better, he reminds me so gently, no, 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 no. Craig, my way is better. His way is better. 
There's a, there's a verse in the Bible where the Apostle Paul says that presently the earth itself is groaning, waiting for God to come back and rewrite everything, this new order we're talking about. If, if the earth can groan in anticipation of this truth, I think sometimes our bodies do as well. Our bodies react, they move, they respond to truths that are so eternal that we don't even know sometimes how to perceive them. His way is better. And I really do hope that part of what we grab a hold of this last couple of weeks is that his way, committing to the mission of the kingdom being delivered to all the corners of the earth is better than anything else that would convince us to do otherwise. His way is better. So here's what I really hope you're gonna do as you go home. If you haven't already determined what partnership with TTI looks like for you or your family or your small group or whatever group you put together, then I pray and hope that you'll do that. Because a couple weeks ago, when I stood those two church planners up here, you guys praised on them and you celebrated them. They've told me in the last few weeks about dozens of conversations that they've had. Even the one guy, Jason Lowen in Flint, already has a couple that's attending from here that they thought, oh, you're a little bit closer. We'd love to be a part of what you're doing. We've never done anything like that. We're gonna go. So there was a excitement and an enthusiasm. Here's the great reality with TTI. Every single one of us get to be a church planner. Like it's an opportunity we genuinely get to step into when we say we will be those who are committed to make sure that the corners of the earth know that there is a God and his name is Jesus. We're 20% of the way there. So even as the series ends right now, our partnership doesn't end. And our effort to continue to say we're gonna plant collaboratively with six other churches, these 3,333 churches, that's not over today. We're gonna continue to pursue that. But at 20% of the way there already, and with a $100,000 matching gift, I'm more than confident we're gonna not just meet it, we're gonna exceed it. But it's gonna take all of us together believing this is a mantle placed on our shoulders. So would you just stand with me right now? I wanna pray us out of this series and send you into your week. And as I do, just know this, if we can continue to love and serve on you, pray for you, care for you, listen to you, there's a team back here, our prayer team, that that's what they're here to do. So let them serve you that way before you leave. Father, I just pray right now a blessing over everyone in this room and online watching this morning that as we move into this next week, Jesus, you would do what only you can do to continue to gently whisper into all the different varieties of places in our lives where there are lies that are telling us that there is a different way that's better than yours. God, maybe that's just such the perfect way to end this morning because the more we continue to realize your way is better and that we walk in rhythm with you, the more we are available to whatever it is you ask. Partnerships with church planning groups, pursuing neighbors, seeking peace where there's brokenness in relationship, whatever it is, God, when we say your way is better, you lead us. And so, God, I pray that our posture as we walk out these doors this morning would be one to say, we are available. Here I am. Your way is better, so send me. I pray that you would bless everyone at the sound of my voice, whether listening today or years from now that hears this message. Let them feel the joy and the knowledge that they had somebody who came to them. Somebody responded to your call to go and brought the message to them just like Phil did to me and so many others that we've talked about this morning did for Steve and other people, would we be committed to be the same and do the same for others? Thank you for your love. Would we feel it and know it and taste it and walk and live in it this week in Jesus' name, amen. Hope you all have an amazing rest of the week, an amazing Sunday today, and we'll see you next weekend. Bye-bye. You've been listening to the Kensington Church Podcast. 
If you've enjoyed this recording, check back weekly for new content. You can find Kensington on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter, and of course, at kensingtonchurch.org.